Hello and welcome to the Third Sector Podcast. I'm Rebecca Cooney, Senior Features and Analysis Writer. And I'm Emily Burt, Editor of Third Sector, the UK's leading publication for the voluntary and not-for-profit sector. Each week we sit down for a quick-fire conversation about the interesting or unusual goings-on in the charity world. And this week we're discussing the Shaping the Future with Volunteering Group, a partnership formed between 18 major charities to capitalise on the uptick in volunteering that we've seen as a result of the pandemic. But first, what's the worst thank you you've ever had? You know, you've really done something for someone and they've said thank you and you sort of think in a way that has made you think, I sort of wish you hadn't bothered. Yeah. Okay. So you asked me this last night and it sent me into a real tailspin because I can't really think of a time when somebody has given me a really lacklustre thank you about something. But what I can tell you about is a time where someone thanked me and it made me feel absolutely appalling because it was when I had just started waitressing and I was probably about 19 years old and I was serving a table of four old age pensioners who were out having their lovely lunch in this restaurant and they ordered four large glasses of wine which I took over to them on a round tray Um, but no one had taught me how to balance the tray properly. Oh Oh god. So I took the I took off one glass of wine and immediately as I did it, the entire tray flipped and I threw four very large, very expensive glasses of white wine over these people in their set, like probably about 70 years old. I just, they got soaked and oh, it is one of the worst things I've ever done. I can remember just wanting the ground to swallow me. And the worst thing was, is like the old gentleman who got like the most wine in his face like very delicately sort of wiped his eye with his uh, napkin and then said thank you that was delicious (laughs) (laughs) he was so kind and I just I you know no one did the kind of way that people do which incidentally I think that's one of the worst things that people can ever do if you're in a pub and a bartender or someone in the waiting staff drops a glass or smashes a tray of glasses don't shout way it doesn't make their life any better but he was so graceful and I just remember him being like thank you that was delicious and and I think he said something like if I'd known I wouldn't have taken my umbrella down and I just I oh I was so embarrassed so in a way one of the kindest thank yous that I have ever ever had but also one of the worst yeah I mean, I, I, I mean, I would love to have that level of composure and grace under literal fire, actually, <laughs> that that gentleman had. That sounds amazing. Oh, God, what about you? Okay, so two sprang to mind when we started talking about this. One was when I was an intern uh, just starting out my career. Journalism, pretty bad, actually, it has to be said, as an industry for unpaid labour for free internships, and you just have to do them to get your foot in the door. And there are so many problems with that. There is a whole other podcast. Yep. I was doing this internship at this small uh, magazine and it was basically just the editor, a few kind of commissioned freelancers and that were kind of working remotely and like a, a revolving roster of interns. And um, yeah, it was a, so it was a magazine about business in Africa um, and very colonial undertones. Uh, actually, I think, I think the fundraising world would have had a field day with, with this, this particular mm. magazine. And the, the editor was, he he was quite sexist as well. He said quite a few things to me that made me go huh, over the course of the week. But I, of course, the two weeks I was there. Two weeks, I worked my bum off, um, and I bet you did. Yeah, um, you know, 
and I, you know, and I was taking work home to do. I was, you know, and I was very much like, this is, this is the start of it. This is, you know, I just finished my training. I am going to be a proper journalist. I'm going to have a byline. Like this is, this is, you know, I'm, I'm going to do journalism. And, you know, this is, this is my first step towards a proper job and having a profession and a career and I'm really doing it. And at the end of the two weeks, by way of thank you, he sort of said, oh, there's something on your desk. And I went and looked at my desk and there was a 70p dairy milk chocolate bar on the desk. <gasps> no. And it was just so like, I have, I have put, you know, a professional level of work in for you for two weeks I am not a kid looking for sweets. Like it was so diminishing and so painful oh. to just be like, you know, yeah, to be, to be treated like a child looking for pocket money to buy to buy sweeties with. Um, that, that's a bad thank yeah. you. That's a straight up it, bad it thank you. It was a bad thank you. And interestingly, before we started, I was chatting to our producer, Lindsay, um, and she said she had the same thing at a completely different publication. Um, it happened to her, uh, which like, so like, I, I thought that was relatively rare because mostly, you know, I think journalists kind of know that it's, it's a rigged game and it's terrible and they try to be quite supportive generally uh this guy did not the magazine has since folded which obviously deserved i'm not gonna say I'm, yeah i'm not gonna say i'm pleased about it but it was not a good product so there was that uh and i'm not that sorry <laughs> but yeah so there's that one and then the other one that i had that sprang to mind was actually happened to my cousin um who uh, she was a cancer nurse for a long time um, and was was dealing with people who were terminally ill. And there was this older gentleman who, you know, had had a, a terminal diagnosis and was clearly, clearly very, very sort of distraught about it. And she went and sat with him. Uh, she was visiting him in his house and she went and sat with him and she kind of, you know, gave him ways to handle it and sort of talked him through it and that sort of thing and made him feel a lot better. And by the end of the visit, he, you know, he was really perked up. And the next time she came to see him, he said, oh, thank you so much for helping me. I really, really appreciated that. I really appreciate the way you spoke to me. And, and actually, um, I, uh, I got you a little thank you present. Well, I, I was replacing my old pair and, um, and, and I, I, was, I, got a new, I got myself a new set of these things. And I, uh, I thought, well, perhaps you would like the old pair um, because I thought they might be useful to you. Oh, no. Is it like old socks or something? Worse. Oh, no. Old pants? toenail clippers <gasps> the mankiest rustiest pair of toenail clippers she had oh, ever seen no. and he was so pleased to give it to her and she was like oh thank you and then literally took it back to the hospital and put it straight in the bio Burned waste it. oh bio-waste bin. <laughs> Just... the gesture's nice though yeah right it's so sweet so sweet but she was just like what was the thought process um but yes <laughs> So why have you got us talking about good and bad thank yous? Well, because, you know, just to just to illustrate that we think it's a fairly simple thing and they can they can actually go quite wrong, as we will be discussing today. So uh, today we're going to be talking about the Shaping the Future Volunteering Group, uh, which, as you said, was this partnership. Um, as part of that, there is going to be some thinking about how we can keep volunteers engaged post-pandemic. And, you know, one of the key things about keeping volunteers engaged is to say thank you. Mm. So we'll be looking later on the show at different ways that people can do that. Excellent. Well, without further delay, let's get into it. So one of the few upsides to the COVID-19 pandemic has been a revolution in volunteering, so described by Catherine Johnston, who is the chief executive of the Royal Volunteering Service. Over the past 16 months, we've seen a huge number of good news stories about volunteering, from the rise of more than 4,000 mutual aid groups in the first wave of the pandemic, to the RSPCA reporting an 85% increase in volunteers over the past year. 
While some volunteering roles were reduced or put on hold over the past year, others, such as those mutual aid programmes, have emerged as key contributors, supporting neighbours and local communities throughout the crisis. By one estimate, a total of 12.4 million people gave their time last year, compared with 8 to 9 million annually pre-COVID-19. So that's as much as a 50% increase in volunteers around the country. Now, last week, 18 major charities announced a pledge to work together on an initiative that aims to share knowledge and skills and to make volunteering easier for people. The Shaping the Future volunteering group includes the British Red Cross, the National Trust and the RNLI and plans to capitalise on this volunteering revolution and crucially keep people engaged so they keep volunteering once the pandemic is completely over when we eventually get there. When we get there, eventually. When we get there. (laughs) The group says that the benefits of this could be absolutely transformative, creating the kind of society that we all want to live in as volunteers help to address some of the biggest challenges we face, whether it's COVID recovery or mental health or climate change. And of course, volunteering has proved benefits for volunteers themselves. You know, the opportunity to gain new skills, confidence, a sense of community, and of course, that feel-good factor that comes with giving your time to another person. A secretariat led by the Royal Voluntary Service will oversee the initiative, helped by a £50,000 fund provided by the charities involved. Catherine Johnston, Chief Executive of the RVS, and Matt Hyde, who is Chief Executive of the Scouts, will co-chair the Shaping the Future with Volunteering group, and all the Chief Executives will meet regularly. The group of 18 charities plans to focus on four strategic priorities. The first being promoting a better understanding of and celebrating the power of volunteering. The second being a shared commitment to equity, diversity and inclusion, learning from the best examples of volunteer engagement across diverse demographics, geographies and cultures. The third priority is support, learning more about valuing volunteers and how to support them while making sure systems are accessible to everyone. And then the final priority is partnerships, working with other volunteer-involving organisations of all shapes and sizes, learning from each other and working closely with government, business and other agencies. So the full list of charities includes Deep Breath, (gasps) the British Red Cross, Cats Protection, Girl Guiding, Help Force, National Trust, NCT, NSPCC, Papworth Trust, Rotary, RNLI, RVS, Samaritans, Scouts, St John Ambulance, Stroke Association, The Conservation Volunteers, Volunteering Matters and YHA. Try saying that 10 times after you've had a drink. That was seriously impressive. (laughs) You just reeled that off like a weather forecaster. (laughs) I feel like we should we should say that was for our listeners that was two takes we did that. <laughs> that was set, and only on the second take. And to be fair, on the first take you got three quarters of the way through before you fluffed one of them. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, that's a good list of charities. It is a good list of charities. It is the greater than good. Um, so, and I feel like you know we actually need to get a klaxon for every time we mention the importance of sector level collaboration on this show yes a little fanfare or something yeah i feel like it's something that we've been we've been on with for the past year but yeah this is yet another great example of major organizations working together instead of seeing themselves as rivals for volunteers time energy and attention which is great i couldn't agree with you more and this is also something that Catherine johnston has said as well so she spoke to our colleague john Plummer, who covered this story for us last week and stressed that this was not just a talking shop to get chief executives in a room together every once in a while but it's about teams working together and finding combined solutions she called it a coalition of the willing And crucially, Johnson also said that this is not an exclusive club. Other organisations will be able to join. 
Um, she believes that charities really need to make the most of this once in a generation opportunity um, and pointed out that many volunteers still feel they have to jump through a million hoops to give their time. So this is a core thing that the group plans to tackle, as well as sharing systems and processes that will disseminate best practice um, around the coalition. At this stage, there's no plan to share back office function between the charities when it comes to volunteering. But Johnson said, who knows in the future? We must work better together. I think that's really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And Sarah Viber, who is the interim chief executive at the National Council for Voluntary Organisations, agreed that collaboration has been crucial, not just to charities' response to the pandemic, but also to the successful mobilisation of so many volunteers. But she said the sector was at an important crossroads that will shape the future of volunteering. And that if it wanted to secure the incredible legacy of volunteering during the pandemic, we must learn the lessons and realise the opportunities it has presented. Um, In a position statement when the group launched, the group identified some of these opportunities as supporting the COVID recovery, building volunteers' own well-being and working with diverse communities. The group also plans to recognise the amazing contributions of volunteers during the past year by joining in with a thank you day on Sunday, July 4th. Nice. And we're back to the thank yous. And we're back to the thank yous. So uh, so this particular thank you day will involve a cheers for volunteers at 5pm, where people will raise a glass or cup of tea to say thank you to volunteers. Uh, opportunities for people to host uh, celebration events, so much like the kind of Macmillan coffee mornings, I think, is, is mm-hmm. the idea. Um, a special park run, uh, followed by a thank you picnic brunch for their volunteers, uh, friends and families. And then there's also the fantastically named BB Thank You, <laughs> uh, which... Uh, hopes to be the nation's biggest ever cookout and will be led by Levi Roots. I mean, it's July, so maybe, but you know, (laughs) never let it be said that Britain isn't peopled by optimists. Um, Indeed, absolutely. But, uh, you know, there is a serious point here, which I think is that, you know, the NCVO's guidance on retaining volunteers says one of the key things an organisation can do is recognise their contribution. Um, So we have to be thinking about what organisations do to say thank you. I remember when I interviewed Kate Lee of the Alzheimer's Society a year ago, she said that she spends a lot of her time as chief executive doing handwritten thank you cards um, to people across her organisation, including volunteers, thanking them for their time, puts those in the post. I think that's a great example of a thank you gesture. It's, it's one I've always admired and sort of stayed in my head long after we, we spoke. Um, the NCVO's website says that informally telling volunteers they're doing a great job, asking for their opinions on internal developments and getting them to feel comfortable with being a part of the organisation's social life are all really important things. The Umbrella Body also points out that there are more formal events, such as through Volunteers Week, which has just gone a week ago, for example, where certificates are given out or volunteers are given some form of accreditation that can help demonstrate how much their organisation appreciates them. So the NCBO's 2019 report on volunteering, Time Well Spent, found that the most popular form of volunteer recognition was verbal or written thanks from the organisation. So much like you were saying there about Kate Lee, uh, which was favoured by 42% of respondents. Um, And so the NCBO website also has some really useful hints on when and how to say thank you to volunteers. You're absolutely right, because as we've established earlier in the podcast, saying thank you may sound like a very easy thing to do, but it is possible to have an ill-judged thank you. The NCVO warns, for example, about a thank you which is too fleeting, too insincere or undeserved. Now, at best, this may fall flat. At worst, it can anger and linger. So while a thank you that comes out of the blue can have the most impact and make people feel as though you are genuinely noticing how helpful they are, there are also times when a thank you might be expected. And then its absence creates an issue. 
So the NCVO offers a handy list of times when it's pretty easy but effective to offer a thank you. Uh, These include your charity's annual report and any promotional material that goes along with that. Uh, Media coverage was another good one. If a project involving volunteers has generated positive media coverage, for example, they may rightly feel aggrieved if their contribution isn't recognised. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So it's worth making sure that your communications team and or PR agency are aware of the volunteers' contribution to such a project. And also that they know about any other kind of good news stories involving volunteers. And also, the the NTVA points out, you can encourage volunteers to kind of highlight these stories to their managers as well, to say, actually, this is a really good thing that we've done. Mm. Do you want to talk about it? Uh, Which makes a lot of sense. Um, So the the list of good times to thank volunteers also includes the anniversary of their start date with you, uh, which can be used to sort of highlight goals and development opportunities. You know, you've been with us for a year, consider doing this certificate, consider, you know, stepping up or you know just thank you and just noticing you know how long you've been involved um and while that sounds a bit tricky actually it's kind of possible to create and schedule kind of tailored email uh communications to do this relatively easily so it it doesn't have to be a massive faff for the organization right um the ncbo also points out you can do thank yous on days that are important to your mission such as like mother's day if you're a charity that works with families or a national or religious holiday if you work with people from a particular ethnic or religious background and and you know you can also nominate star volunteers at regular points throughout the year as well um although the ncbo guidance does warn to be careful of creating an atmosphere of like winners and losers because if you're going to single out particular volunteers or teams that that could create kind of a range of different emotions that maybe not what you want Absolutely. I think there are definitely ways to, you know, give out sort of star recognition awards without making it a competitive endeavour. So that is definitely something to consider there. Um, and, and when it comes to how you say thank you, the NCVO also advises that you should consider how many volunteers you have and the culture of the organisation that you're working in. But that the most important thing is to tailor your thanks to individual volunteers. It might be that a very public expression of thanks, be it in a report or an event, will help to carry weight. But for people who are uncomfortable in the limelight, a quiet pat on the back, a private email or a telephone call might be even better. Yeah, and it might be that if you've got a long-serving volunteer who's leaving or someone that's made a significant accomplishment, you might want to give a gift. But the NCBO warns you need to be very careful about going overboard on the value of the gift. Um, For one thing, committed volunteers probably won't thank you if they feel like you've spent too much of the charity's money on a lavish gift. And there can also be some kind of legal and tax issues around whether a valuable gift is considered payment and so on. And it sort of changes the nature of the relationship. So uh, the NCBO says, as a general rule, the act of giving should always outshine the gift itself. And acknowledgement through words, either delivered in public or private, should be the first port of call. So as well as saying thank you, it's also worth mentioning that if you're thinking about how to keep and support volunteers effectively, it may be a good idea to look into the Investing in Volunteers standard. This is the UK quality standard for good practice in volunteer management, which allows you to benchmark the quality of your volunteer management and involvement, to prove and improve the effectiveness of your work with volunteers, and to enhance your organisation's reputation. So you can find more information about that at www.investinginvolunteers.co.uk. And as we've said, a lot of the guidance that we've been talking about today has been drawn from the NCBO website. It's all quite easy to find there as well. And I will obviously pop links in the show notes in the news story. Stick that report in the show notes. Yes. Brilliant. Right. So shall we have some good news stories? Let's talk some good news. Each week, we bring you a mini coronavirus care package, a good news story that we have spotted in the sector. 
So, Rebecca, the good news... I was going to say the good news goblin, but that was like very <laughs> weird and kind of came off the top of my head. The good news goblin. You're not a goblin. You're great. I want to be the good news goblin. I like that. I'm quite happy with that as a monarch. Yeah. I'll take that. <laughs> the good news goblin, Rebecca Cooney. <laughs> what have you got for us this That week? is a new Twitter bio, if ever I saw one. <laughs> good news goblin. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I don't know where that came it. from. Very it. strange. I've been listening to a Lord of the Rings audiobook and maybe that's like, I think that might be it. It's, it's incredibly soothing. Um, but clearly my, my head is, is away with the elves and the fairies. So Brilliant. Um, so uh, I guess better the good news goblin than the, I don't know, awkward thank you orc. I don't know. <laughs> um, uh, so first up in my little, uh, what do goblins have? They have a little sack or a bag i don't know my little goblin bag of tricks so first up we've got speedo mick now Yay. i don't know yeah i don't know if we've actually mentioned him on the podcast or not before he has been in the magazine he's been in the magazine and i feel like we've talked about him but yeah if you don't know about speedo mick speedo mick is a uh guy who does charity fundraising by walking long distance in his shreddies as he calls them yes in his shreddies in his speedos so as the name suggests just wearing a pair of speedos um so uh he last year i believe he did land's end to john o'groats um he did through storms kira and dennis uh to raise uh three hundred pounds for charity um for uh leave the lights on which is a community interest company that works with disadvantaged people uh, so that was last year uh and uh this year he has he's off again so he set off earlier this week on what will be a five month two thousand mile slog uh, he's starting out in the Outer Hebrides, um, which are, we might be having nice weather down here, but apparently it's still pretty cold up there and he is just wearing a pair of swimming trunks uh, and he plans to finish in Liverpool. And yes, and his aim is to um, uh, raise another £250,000 for the charity. Wow. And uh, yeah, so uh, it, 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 there's, you know, the news stories about him, there are pictures. It doesn't look fun. I'm not, I'm, you know... We talk about like runners don't seem to be enjoying themselves particularly, but these guy, this guy, even less so, I would say, uh, he looks <laughs> pretty chilly. Uh, so yeah, so well done to Speedo Mick, and uh, yeah, good luck to him. I wish you warm and soothing winds. I guess there's that heat wave in June coming. So yeah, <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, so that was our first story, good news story. Uh, the second one is uh, another fantastic story from last month, actually. Uh, two members of the clergy glued themselves to furniture in the reception of Church House in London to protest at the Church of England continuing to invest in ExxonMobil despite their extraction of fossil fuels. Um, Reverend Sue Parfit from Bristol and Reverend Tim Hughes, who's a retired vicar from Oxfordshire, um, say they would like to see the church invest in funds that promote the common good. I can't find the age for Tim Hughes, but Sue Parfit, her age is given a a 79 um which and she is gluing herself to furniture and having a brilliant time and i love it they sent us a yeah they sent us a press release with photographs of them glued to the furniture uh which i enjoyed enormously uh, and again i will pop those in the show notes so that our listeners can see them because yeah they are they are rather brilliant and um yeah and like uh sue Parfit, if you google her she's been arrested a couple of times been to court over it because of her work with extinction rebellion and I just, yeah, I mean, really, I want to say putting your money where your mouth is, but it's it's putting your hands where you think money shouldn't be. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what the thing is there, but it's brilliant. And yeah, a huge fan of what she's doing. It's great to see kind of this uh, very 
direct, very non-violent action. Um, but, you know, really kind of going going out there for climate change. So fingers crossed that ExxonMobil uh, listen up and um, pay pay attention. Well, also that the, the Church of England divest from ExxonMobil and, and, yeah, start to invest funds that promote the common good. There are a lot of very good, uh, you know, uh, social bonds out there, social investment projects that that you know they can be using so yeah keep gluing yourselves to things keep walking in in cold places in your underwear uh say thank you to people in good and thoughtful ways and uh we will be back with another episode soon so make sure you subscribe to this the third sector podcast on your favorite podcast app to be the first to know about it until then i'm emily burt and i'm rebecca cooney and our producer is lindsay riley of rethink audio we'll see you next week